The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Welcome to another episode of Things Are About To Get Weird. This is a podcast dedicated to some of the strangest stories you're ever likely to hear, from true crime and unsolved mysteries to astonishing coincidences and tales full of bizarre twists. I've decided to venture into the world of unexplained phenomena this week, and we'll be telling you all about an event labelled as an instance of mass hysteria that will leave you with far more questions than answers. It's the ominously titled Hollinwell Incident. This one has really got under my skin. I haven't stopped thinking about it since I started researching it, so let's get straight into the story. If you listened to the very first episode of Things Are About To Get Weird, you might remember me talking about the strange but true storybooks that I was obsessed with as a kid. I always remember that any story that involved a group of people experiencing an odd event would fascinate me the most because it's just so much harder to explain or explain away an incident which affects more than just one or two individuals. I actually think the Hollingwell incident might have been featured in one of the books that I had, because when I started researching it, it felt so familiar. So it's either the same event or there has been another one very similar to it, perhaps in another part of the world. Side note, I actually think that I might have some of my old books in storage somewhere, so I'm working on finding them, and if I do, perhaps I'll dive further into some of the stories on here. But for now, let's zoom back all the way to 1980, Sunday the 13th of July 1980 to be exact. This story takes place at the Hollinwell showground in the market town of Kirkby in Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, which is a county in the East Midlands of England. If you want to visualise where Nottinghamshire is within England, you've got South Yorkshire to the northwest of it, Lincolnshire to the east, Derbyshire to the west, and then Leicestershire to the south. So Nottinghamshire is sort of landlocked between those other four counties. Now, at the time, jazz band festivals were very popular. I actually think they still are, to be honest, especially in some parts of the UK. I know that not far from where I grew up as a teenager in Cheshire, there was one that was on every single year, and I think it might still be going, to be honest. But in July of 1980, a charity event was organised kind of off the back of this popularity as part of the annual Hollinwell show by a group called the Forest League of Juvenile Jazz Bands. That needs to be the title of an Arctic Monkeys album or something, right? If you're in a band and you're listening to this and you need an album title, there you go, there's one on me. So this event was going to be in the form of a competition for junior brass and marching bands from right across the East Midlands, and it proved to be a hit of an idea. Junior marching bands from up to 40 miles away decided to attend the event, and in total, around 500 children made their way to the Hollinwell showground, largely in coaches, as is often the way with these kind of events. I bet those coaches were very noisy. I just hope for the sake of the driver and any parents on board that the instruments were stored in like the holding area below the coach. Can you imagine someone just bashing a tambourine or a cymbal for the entire journey? It would drive you mad. It was set to be a pretty early start for the competition, around 9am, which meant that many of the kids were pretty tired when they arrived at the showground after getting up in time to get ready, have their breakfast, leave the house and catch their coaches. 
I'm sure there were plenty of nerves flying around, but also loads of excitement too. I don't know if any of you remember that feeling of doing any kind of competition or performance when you were a kid. I remember once I was in primary school and we did some kind of choir show in Manchester. I'm sure the mayor was there. I can't quite remember, but I do recall thinking, oh my God, this is a huge deal. The girl who was sat next to me kept needing the toilet because she was so nervous. Like I was scared to breathe wrong because I wanted to be so perfect. So I think when people talk about this factor of the story, which does become important later, by the way, I do understand where they're coming from. It seems like the first hour and a half of the event mostly involved the bands arriving and the judges performing inspections. I guess these were preliminary inspections to make sure that everyone would be abiding by the rules before the competition got fully underway. By all accounts, it was a gorgeous day weather-wise, hot and sunny, which isn't necessarily a given in July in England. The showground was starting to come alive with stalls selling ice cream, candy floss and hot dogs opening up and there was an air of excitement. All of the hustle and bustle that you'd expect was in full flow. The children arriving at the site for the competition were as young as five years old and some of them were dressed in like the full majorette uniforms, I'm talking medals, sashes, hats, the whole lot and loads of them were carrying large instruments as well like the drums that kind of hang around your neck and sort of sit on your front or things like tambourines. But after all of the initial checks were done, the bands started performing in roughly 15 minute sets or displays. However, the performance section of the day was destined to be very short-lived. According to eyewitness accounts, around 10.30am, everything seemed to come to a grinding halt. Across the entire showground, the children began collapsing. Not one or two, not a dozen, but hundreds of kids were losing consciousness and passing out completely or experiencing a number of horrendous symptoms which caused them to fall to the ground. One attendee said it was as though the children were falling like bowling pins one after another. There were reports of children catching their friends as they fell before collapsing themselves. It just sounds terrifying to be honest. Before long, it appeared it wasn't just the child performers who were being affected by whatever the hell was causing this. Several babies and adults were also collapsing or falling very sick. I read an account by a lady called Claire Brown, who was seven years old at the time and she was performing in one of the jazz bands. She said, I can remember lots of children crying and fainting. They stopped the carnival and I went home with my parents and then started feeling very sick. I had something like white foam coming from my mouth. There are a huge number of awful symptoms that those affected reported experiencing. Some were struggling to breathe, many were vomiting and struggling with intense dizziness. I also read a few accounts where people were having major eye and throat pain and one woman who was 13 at the time of the incident said she felt as though her arms and legs had no bones in them and she had a terrible headache. There were even accounts of water-filled blisters appearing on some of the children's skin. Many of these symptoms seemed to set in very quickly whilst the children were still at the showground. But for others, like Claire Brown, it was a couple of hours after returning home that she began to feel even more unwell. Claire's granddad, Ken, was at the showground when the incident began and he talked about how no one knew what was happening. There's a quote from him. He said, All of a sudden, there were ambulances coming through the gates. It felt like a panic then. All we were doing was running about the field looking for our own children. 
As we were running to get Claire, there were kiddies down with their parents gathered around them. One of the biggest frighteners was that many ambulances. People hadn't seen so many since the Second World War. It didn't take long before the local hospitals were completely inundated with children and families who had come from the showground. Many of them had headed to the Nottingham City Hospital or the Queen's Medical Centre straight from the event, and then many more who had initially gone home and then started to feel really ill had gone to the Chesterfield Royal Hospital. It's estimated that roughly 300 people were affected on the day, but the official report, which we'll talk about a lot more in a minute, stated that around 400 people actually ended up in hospital, with nine children being kept in overnight. From what I can gather, I think this number might include everyone who ended up seeking medical attention, be it on the day or afterwards, because a lot of other sources stated it was 259 people who went to hospital, so I think that number could be the people who went to hospital on the 13th of July itself. Claire Brown's mum, Anne, remembers how she wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital with her daughter, I'm guessing because it was so overrun and overcrowded with people from the Hollingwell showground. And Claire was actually in the hospital for a couple of days, which must have been really scary for her. There was also a report in the Fortean Times magazine, which is a monthly magazine all about bizarre phenomena, that some horses were also affected too, which is even more weird, especially when we come to talking about the possible explanations for what on earth happened. I think it's pretty safe to say that this experience must have been absolutely horrifying for the people who were there at the showground. And if you thought this story was already weird, just brace yourselves because we are going to talk about the various possibilities and explanations for what happened. But I find this to be one of those cases where the more you hear, the less you feel like you truly know. What I'm going to do is take you through all of the possible explanations, starting with the quote-unquote official explanation, which was determined from the official report into the incident, which leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. So, Ashfield District Council's Environmental Health Department did conduct an investigation into the events of the 13th of July immediately afterwards. The report states that the children did not collapse altogether, but around five or six at a time between the period of 11.15am and 1pm, which contradicts other reports from eyewitnesses that say everything started around 10.30am. The official report also noted symptoms such as sickness, giddiness, which is weird, and pain, which is strangely vague. All in all, whilst the investigation did briefly consider several causes, which we'll come to, it concluded that the incident was a case of mass hysteria. Yep, nice, easy, catch-all explanation. They said it looked to be an example of the phenomenon where fainting or sickness spreads quickly through a large group, and another name for this incident came to be the fainting field. Really odd. This finding was majorly controversial, and a large number of the people who had been present at the showground were adamant that mass hysteria was not the explanation for what had taken place that day. What seems to have been implied as a result of the report relates back to what I mentioned towards the start of this episode, around the fact that the children taking part in the event were not performing in optimal conditions. What I mean by that is they had had early starts and were tired, they were nervous and anxious to perform well, they were wearing elaborate costumes that could have been uncomfortable on a hot summer's day, which 
Yes, okay, you could imagine that that combination of factors could affect a kid in a negative way and perhaps leave them feeling unwell. But to take that explanation alone and imply that perhaps one child collapsing prompted this domino effect of panic, hysteria and chaos among hundreds more seems pretty far-fetched and kind of lazy to me. As I say, many of the parents of the affected children did not accept this explanation either. In a lot of cases, they didn't like the suggestion that their kids were somehow pretending or had imagined the symptoms into reality. And others argued, rightly so, that it wasn't until hours later that their own children had fallen ill. So where did that fit into this theory? A man named Terry Bingham, who was a father of three, said he felt that no proper answers were ever really provided and that the authorities pushed the victims to one side. This was kind of echoed by Claire Brown's mum, Anne, who said, while she did receive a visit from the local council afterwards, they only asked her a few questions before leaving and that she never heard from them again. Clearly, this conclusion was not satisfactory to those who'd been at the showground that day. So let's talk about some of the many alternative theories that have been brought forward since the incident. I found this newspaper article from the time. It's a bit blurry and unfortunately I think it might be from the sun, but it features a pretty amazing headline, what done it, and six possible suggestions. So I'll read them out to you. Okay. One, knockout crop spray. Two, waves in the air. Three, mass hysteria. Four, something they ate. Five, stamping of feet. And six, invasion from space, of course. It wouldn't be a story like this without a little bit of a UFO tangent on it, would it? Right, so let's look deeper into the first suggestion there, the crop spray theory. Now, this is probably the most commonly discussed alternative explanation as to what happened. And it was even the subject of a BBC Inside Out documentary that came out in 2003. The suggestion was that a pesticide called Tridomorph could have been the culprit, as it's believed it was sprayed on nearby fields around three days before the incident took place. Professor David Ray, who worked at the University of Nottingham, suggested that the smell of this fungicide could have actually triggered an episode of mass hysteria, or, I guess, been a factor behind the symptoms that people experienced. It is worth noting that quite a few witnesses reported noticing odd smells at the showground. There was a woman called Penny Morley, who was 10 years old at the time, and she said she remembers there being an odd taste in the air and a smell that she would compare to onions. Her mother, Joan, also said that she remembers a smell of bleach and that the grass had an odd blue tinge to it. There were suggestions that the children running around and marching on the field could have kicked up dust or chemicals, and I even read something about reports of a, quote, insecticide cloud being visible over the showground. Terry Bingham claimed he had a diagnosis from the hospital of inhalation of organic poison, which is very odd too. However, there's quite a few things about this theory that don't add up for me. So the idea that it was some kind of crop spraying incident, maybe the overuse of a pesticide or something, it was one of the very early causes that the district council did look at. And they couldn't find any evidence that pesticide use could have caused the incident. A lot of things I read actually said that pesticides hadn't been recorded as being used on any of the nearby fields at all, let alone the field itself. So it's just a really odd anomaly and there's a lot of conflicting things about that. So 
It's very, a little bit shady, I don't know, it's very weird. The other thing is, whilst a lot of articles and media about the Hollingwell incident talk about Tridomorph being banned in the year 2000, I have a bit of an inside scoop on this theory. I spoke to someone who is an expert in pesticides and spent a chunk of their career using and working with Tridomorph up close. They said that often when a pesticide is described as banned, it's not always completely accurate because it can be that the pesticide's license hasn't been renewed, if you like, or it could have just expired, or something better or more suitable came along and it's been put out of circulation. They said that in all the years that they used Tridomorph themselves, they'd never experienced any issues at all. And by the way, this person has no affiliation with the industry anymore, so... It really did make me doubt the validity of this crop spray theory on its own. There's just a few things about it that don't add up for me. I mean, not least the fact that if Tridomorph was dangerous enough to cause 300 plus people in a field to collapse and have all of these horrible symptoms, I'm sure that in the 20 years it was available post this incident, I'm sure we'd have heard of other things. It just feels a little bit unlikely, to be honest. Also, I'm fairly sure that Tridomorph had been used for years and years before the incident as well. And I feel like we just, we would have heard of more instances of it causing major issues like the symptoms that the people at the Hollingwell showground experienced if it had been a cause for concern on that scale. I mean, as with anything, who really knows? But one thing I did find very interesting was a comment made by John Wright, who's a forensic science course leader from Nottingham Trent University. And he was involved with a piece from the BBC that came out earlier this year, actually. And I do have some hope that the renewed interest in the case might prompt it to be looked at again officially. But anyway, at the time, there were reports that the toilets on the site had been overcleaned with the use of bleaching powder, which left a strong scent of chlorine and ammonia near to where the children were performing. John Wright suggested that perhaps it was a combination of factors, probably with some form of chemical basis that could have caused the episode. I wonder whether it could have been a combination of the toilet cleaning chemicals and any possible pesticide fumes that were around from nearby fields, if they had indeed been used. It's like how you're always told, don't mix chemical products when cleaning your house, right? I mean, who knows? It it could be a very, very complex scientific answer if this is it, and one which I'm sure it would be very, very difficult to get to the bottom of now in 2022. But perhaps amongst all of these different theories, if we take a little bit of each one, the truth lies somewhere in the middle or in the mix of them all. Who knows? It's it's always frustrating when a case is this old. Oh, I've just had a thought actually on the toilet cleaning chemicals theory. Do you remember the Lady Joan from before? She was Penny Morley's mum and she said that she remembers a smell of bleach and that the grass had an odd blue tinge to it. Well, if it was indeed bleaching powder that was overused on the toilets, that would explain the bleach element. And then, you know, in those portable toilets, which I believe are what was at the showground, they often have a liquid in them, don't they? And it can be like that blue colour. I wonder if the toilets had leaked out onto the grass and that blue chemical had gone onto the grass, that would explain the blue tinge and the smell of bleach. That is an interesting thought. Okay, let's move on to the second theory. Now, this is around whether the food and drink at the event could have been to blame. 
I think if I was at an event like this and people started getting really ill all around me, my first thought would be, is it food poisoning or contaminated water or something? There was a press photographer at the showground on the day and his name was Neil Lancashire. He gave a really interesting quote. He said, I did not think much of it to start. And then the person over the tannoy said something like, don't eat the ice cream as they thought it was causing the fainting. A lot of the children eating ice cream then fainted. Then they said it was the water, so everyone who drank it started fainting, and after that they said the field had been sprayed, which caused pretty much everyone to fall down. That's the end of his quote, by the way. But whilst the food or water poisoning possibility was looked into initially, it was ruled out pretty quickly as samples of the food from the stalls were taken and tested, and there were no problems with any of it. Also, most of the children had brought food and drink with them from home, so it was already incredibly unlikely that the food stalls were at fault, and they were quickly ruled out after those tests. Also, if it really did begin at 10.30 in the morning, I can't imagine that many kids were eating ice cream at 10.30, but maybe if it was a special day, they were. Right, we're going to touch on a couple of the more out there theories. So... First was a conspiracy theory that popped up around high frequency radio waves that were being transmitted from a nearby gas board transmitter and the idea that this could have prompted an instance of mass fainting and sickness. But I think looking at this idea, especially in 2022, it seems pretty unlikely. Technology has advanced so far since 1980 and I think if waves traveling through the air caused incidents like this, we'd be hearing about them on a day-to-day basis. I'm kind of hesitant to get into this kind of discussion, to be honest, especially with the way that theories like this have spread since uh, a certain event that took hold in 2020. So I think I'll leave that one there. Finally, and I had to throw this one in because according to the Fortean Times article, the Daily Telegraph newspaper did report at the time that the police looked into the possibility that a UFO had landed in an adjacent field to the showground, but no evidence of this was found. I did think it was strange they said the police had looked into it and not the district council, but who knows, maybe this is something that kind of got a little bit lost over time. But I'm fairly sure that if a UFO had been knocking about, it would have been a lot more widely reported by the hundreds of people who were at the event. So just for the sake of it though, I did have a little look to see if there'd been any other UFO sightings around the same area or around the same time. And the closest thing I could find is not very close at all. It was something from 1978 and it was a sighting from Northamptonshire. So Again, not massively close by, but it was the closest one. It was a lady called Elsie Oakinson, and she'd reported seeing two bright lights, a green one and a red one, and a dumbbell-shaped object. This was in the sky as she was driving home around 5.15pm. She said she saw this bright beam of light in an otherwise dark sky, and she could also not account for 15 minutes of her time after the experience, so that's quite strange. It's something I kind of want to look into a little bit further as a separate incident, but I really don't think it has anything to do with this. Just thought I'd give you a little bit of a bonus UFO moment. I'm not going to give too much more thought to this in terms of it being an explanation for the Hollingwell incident, but I do like the fact that it was apparently officially looked into as a possibility. Good work. So what do I think happened at the Hollingwell showground? Honestly, I feel like it could be a combination of several of the things that we've mentioned, or it could be something else entirely. I mean, for all we know, the true explanation could be something that 
No one wanted the public to know and it was just never released and it was never covered in the official report. I personally think, and this is just my personal opinion, that perhaps because of how many people were affected and the fact that most of them were children, the initial report could have been rushed, the investigation could have been hurried through very quickly so that possibilities were looked into and answers were given. There was probably a lot of pressure at the time. Although it's claimed that all possibilities were looked into, we have no real idea of how thoroughly things were examined. And there have been several serious questions raised about this over the years. So in 2014, there was a former Labour MP, Dennis Skinner, and he said that he doesn't believe the authorities took the inquiry seriously. He's quoted as saying, these were working class kids and I don't believe they looked into it as meticulously as they would have done had it been at a royal garden party, which is very interesting. The current leader of Ashfield District Council, Jason Zadrosny, I really hope I've said that correctly, has made some recent comments actually saying, quote, I can't stand by a report written 42 years ago. I have looked into it and it's clear that there are concerns about the accuracy of a report produced decades ago. What I can assure residents is that the council takes its health and safety responsibilities extremely seriously. I really hope that some of the evidence collected at the time is still stored somewhere, whether it's soil samples or other materials from the showground that could perhaps be tested again with new technologies that we have, but I kind of doubt it to be honest. Something I wanted to mention, this is just something that stuck out to me personally. I'm not saying that this has any bearing on what happened whatsoever, but I just wonder whether it was something that was looked at. I can't find any evidence that it was. It's just stuck out to me that Kirkby in Ashfield is an old coal mining town. I just wonder whether it was possible that if it was a mixture of chemicals that interacted with each other to cause this... Were there any underground fume leaks that could have contributed to it? I mean, I'm not a chemist, so I really don't know, but I think if I'm looking at this and being completely practical, if I absolutely had to tell you what I thought was the most likely possibility of what happened, I would say there probably was some kind of chemical issue. And that's mostly based on the fact that people said they could smell something very strong. That's something that I feel is like a very compelling piece of evidence. So whatever that smell was, whatever could have been in the air, whether it was the toilets or whatever else, could that have contributed to some kind of mass hysteria? Possibly. What if something like that, some kind of chemical reaction had caused a certain number of people who were perhaps very close by to the toilet block or wherever else the main source of some kind of chemical issue was to have these fainting episodes or sickness and could that have prompted other people to then feel unwell? Yes, I think that could be the case but I think the thing that really bugged me about the mass hysteria thing was the fact it was sort of blamed on like oh kids feeling tired and feeling a bit anxious and nervous and hot because it's summer. I don't believe that that could have been it. I feel like the mass hysteria thing could have something more to it if it was looked at in conjunction with other things and it's just a shame that that didn't happen at the time because I feel like a lot of the evidence that we could have had has probably been lost by now. I mean on the flip side perhaps it was something completely paranormal. This is just one that I want to know what you guys think so much and I strongly urge you to go and look into this more and more because 
Oh, it's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, I tell you. As I say, people do seem to be talking about this again. So who knows? Like I say, I will be keeping an eye on this for any future updates. I'll probably set some kind of alert up so that I can find out, be the first to know this breaking news from 1980. Just as a final note to round off this episode, if you are wondering, you know, what happened to a lot of the people who were present at the showground that day, as far as we know, other than those immediate effects afterwards in the days that followed or even on the day itself, everyone made a recovery. However, Claire Brown, who I mentioned earlier in the story, says that she has suffered some really awful health effects later in life. She says that she couldn't get pregnant naturally and had to have IVF. She's had her left kidney removed and she now has double breast cancer as well, which is awful. She says that a friend of hers who was also there had breast cancer too. Um, She says she doesn't know if anyone else had any further health problems. She said, we sit and speak about it and wonder if all of my health problems are connected, but you just don't know. So those are just some quotes from Claire Brown. Obviously, we've really got no idea whether any of her health issues are related to what happened on that day, but it's something that should probably be looked into further if any kind of official inquiry into this was ever opened again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As I say, I could not be more intrigued to hear what you think about this story. So send me everything, your thoughts, theories, questions. I want to know what you make of this story. You can email me at thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch on social. We're on Instagram at thingsgetweirdpodcast and Twitter is at abouttogetweird. As always, I wanted to give a shout out to my sources for this episode, a BBC article from the 4th of July 2022 by Andy Whittaker and Jennifer Harvey, the Fortean Times article I mentioned from August 2010, articles from the Hooknall Dispatch and the Nottingham Post, as well as Wikipedia. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. It really, really does help. Thank you so much to anybody who does. I'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday. And until then, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. 